Well, I, I come to us this morning humbly. I believe God has given me a word for our body, for our community, and so I want to share that this morning with us. If you want to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, I have several uh, scriptures this morning, have several uh, quotes from certain people. As we have been at home, I've taken this time to go back to the drawing board, even in my own life, and I hope for you that during this time, the Lord is changing you. He's been changing me. I've really gotten back to the place of the fear of the Lord and quieting my soul and, and sitting before him, and it's been really, really healthy. It's been really, really good for me, and I would encourage you to do that as well. But this morning, I want to preach a message called, uh, entitled, The Prince of Peace, colon, Warring Through His Peacemakers. The Prince of Peace, colon, Warring Through His Peacemakers. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. Before we read, let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we humble ourselves before you and before your word. God, we thank you that your word is true. And I pray this morning we would believe every single word that is found in the Bible. That our hearts would be established in faith. Our hearts would be established in who you are. And Lord, would you come and reveal yourself to us this morning through your word. God, we put our thoughts aside, we put our feelings aside, and we take hold of your word. We make room for your word. So I pray this morning you would speak through me and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, talking about Jesus here, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everyone say Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. One of the descriptions, titles of Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. He has come and he is coming and currently he is establishing his government and his peace, which will rule forever. Go to Isaiah 42. Verse 13. Isaiah 42, verse 13. It says, The Lord shall go forth 
like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. My question from the the onset here is this. Is Jesus the prince of peace or is he the man of war? Is he truly the prince of peace? Or is he truly the man of war? There's a tension in this dynamic of who the Lord is because he says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. But his name is the Prince of Peace. And then before he leaves the disciples, he breathes upon them and says, Peace, my peace be with you. And then he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, The Roman soldiers come to take him. Peter gets his sword out. And what's he do? Chops chops the guard's ear off. So Peter, good, man, you're right. Jesus is a man of war. He said he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. But then Jesus tells him, Peter, put your sword away. He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. So which one is it? Who is he? Is he the prince of peace or is he the man of war? Who do you say that he is? Who is he? The answer is yes. He is the prince of peace. He is the man of war. One commentator says this, This title, Prince of Peace, pictures the king as the one who establishes a safe environment for his people. It hardly depicts him as a meek individual, for he establishes his peace through military strength. Augustine said this, The purpose of all wars is peace. Romans 16.20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So yes, he is the prince of peace. He is the man of war. And he's coming and he's doing it now. He's establishing peace, his government, his rule here on the earth. As I've been at home just watching and praying and sitting before the Lord, I feel like now more than ever it's become so clear of the war that we're in in America. If you don't think we're in a war, I don't know what planet you're living on now. There's been such a reality check in my own life, in my own heart. And the Lord's been telling me, he says, Brandon, there is a war and there's no place for you to hide. There is a war and there's no place for us to hide. We can't just put our hand, our head in the sand We just can't remain in fear, and I'm never going out of my house. There is a war, and there's no place for us to hide. So Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the man of war. Hence my title this morning, the Prince of Peace, colon, warring through his peacemakers. So we, the body of Christ, we are his peacemakers. Go to Matthew chapter 5. 
Franklin D. Roosevelt said this, if civilization is to survive, the principles of the Prince of Peace must be restored. So this morning, I want to look at three traits of a peacemaker. Matthew 5, starting at verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now remember, we're in a war here, so you can't throw all these ones out the, out the book and say, we're in a fight, I'm going to go hurt people and kill people. No, we're in a spiritual battle. Satan is our enemy, man is not our enemy right now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. If you're taking notes, the first trait of a peacemaker is this. Peacemakers live in complete peace with God. Peacemakers live in complete peace with God. Alan Hood wrote an article, and he's talking about the crisis we're in now, and here's what he says. Crisis takes us all by storm, and the usual first response is to comfort our consciences and ease our fears. The human response is to do damage control and turn to sources that relieve our fears. When tragedy occurs, people stay in their comfortable lanes, reverting to easy answers, blame-shifting, political and religious opinions, and anything else to shield, to shield them from the fa- facing the core, fundamental human problem of our shared sinful state in a fallen world. Jesus calls us to examine our hearts in the hour of crisis. Turn away from every wayward thought and act and turn back to God with contrition and sincerity of heart. Crisis calls for a humble introspection and a return to the only hope that we have. There's been a recent study just came out during COVID-19. They said there's been a 34% increase in anxiety prescriptions. 34%. 22% of people are saying their sleep quality has suffered. 35% say their mental health has worsened. And 43% said their emotional health has worsened. So this is real. And so my question for you is how is your level of peace? Are you at complete peace with God? I know we can come to service and we can just keep coming to the services and put a smile on our face and post some stuff on Facebook. But when you shut your house down, you're sitting in the room by yourself, do you really have peace with God? For real. Some of you don't. And so you may think, I'll just keep coming to service because 
It'll look like I have peace. I'm not afraid. But you come and you have no peace with God. Something in you is questioning, in this crisis, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? This is what crisis does. This is what pressure does. It it causes you to question what's at the core of you. Here's five reasons a believer has no peace. And I'll get to the good part here. Just bear with me for a second. I want us to ask ourselves about this issue of peace. Five reasons. Number one, they're living in unrepentant sin. I thank the Lord that he does not give me his peace when I'm living in sin. When I was young and immature, I didn't like that. I wanted God to promote my sin. I wanted his blessing when I did what I want. But he does not do that. If you're living in sin, there's, it's very hard to find peace in sin. Number two, another reason a believer has no peace, they're in rebellion against God's commandment. There have been seasons of my life where the Lord has told me to do something specific, but I avoid it and I go the other way and I expect God to bless me, just to be with me, to give me this unsurmountable of peace. There'd be times he, he told me what to do and I wouldn't do it, but I start reading the Bible. I read verses that have nothing to do with what he said, and I, I don't have any peace. I, I get convicted, and I'm reading Leviticus or something. It has nothing to do with what he told me to do, but he'll lift his peace. Number three, they're living a lukewarm or double lifestyle. There's no peace in that. There was a study done by the Joshua Fund. They said, of believers, of Christians, have now taken more of an effort to read their Bible, to listen to sermons online, to pursue the Lord. 40%. I'm encouraged by that number. But I wonder what have they been doing this whole time. But you know what they're looking for? They're realizing, I have no peace. Number four. The fourth reason a believer has no peace, they're living in religion and not relationship. You can come to services, you can do good things, but you don't know the Lord. So when crisis comes, there's no peace. And then you wonder, does God really love me? Does he really care for me? You may honor him with your lips, but your heart is far from him. Number five, a believer may be having no peace because they're under demonic oppression. They need deliverance. Those are five reasons a believer may have no peace. You may have thought of an extra one or two. Good, that's okay. But here's the thing. I want to tell us one reason why a believer does have peace. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to go back to the Word. What does the Word say about believers and our peace? I don't want us to turn to medication. I don't want us to turn to our favorite movie. I don't want us even to turn to our neighbor. I've been at home. I, I, my neighbor's he's in his house too. I have to turn to what does the Bible say? Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 18. It says, For he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made both one has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, 
the law of commandments contained, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, putting to death the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Don't turn there, but Colossians 1. It says, For it pleased that the Father... For it, pleased, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The one reason believers have peace is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He made peace at the cross. Notice he said in Ephesians 2, verse 17, it says, He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were even near. Think about that. He came and he preached peace to those who were far off. That makes sense. Sinners, they're in rebellion, they're far from God. But it says he even preached peace to those who were near. There can be sincere believers who love Jesus and have no peace. So he's coming to you right now, and he's preaching peace to you. And it's only through the cross. It's through the cross that Jesus Christ bound himself. He took God the Father. He took sinful men, pulled them together, and were bound to the Father. That's where peace is truly at. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Do you have peace this morning? If you don't, you need to go back to the cross. If you are a believer, go back to the cross. If you are not a believer, you need to meet Jesus at the cross. That's the only place you'll get it this morning. That's the only place you'll get it until the day you die. And this is what the Father is saying. He is speaking peace to his people. There's a reason why when Paul and other New Testament authors, they would intro the letter, and here's what they would say. I have it listed on here. Romans 1.7 he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 2, the same thing. Galatians 1, 3, same thing. Ephesians 1, verse 2, same thing. Philippians 1, verse 2, same thing. Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Peter, Second John, read the intros. They're saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of knowing Christ. The Father is speaking peace to you. Charles Brandt says this, to be able to look into God's face 
and know with the knowledge of faith that there is nothing between your soul and him is to experience the fullest peace the soul can know. It's at the cross, beloved, where we have been bound to God and we have peace with him. This is really important. If we're going to be peacemakers in an hour of crisis, yet we don't have peace with God our Father, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can offer. doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. I remember growing up all the time, and even in college, I'd have people come up to me and tell me all the time, man, I'm a basketball player, and, like, I'm going to the NBA and, and doing all these things. And I'll say, well, do you ever, like, go to the gym and practice? No, nah, man, no, nah, no. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a basketball player and go to the NBA. But they never went to go practice, never went in the gym. So it doesn't make sense to say that we have peace with God the Father and we, we haven't met him at the cross, we don't know him in his word, but we just say these things. So you need to make sure that you have peace with God through Christ and the cross. Do you have that this morning? So peacemakers, they live in complete peace with God. Number two, peacemakers fight to reconcile the world back to God. Peacemakers fight, they contend to bring the world back to God. We're grateful, we're thankful that we have peace with God the Father, and now we're going to carry out a mission that is on his heart. And he wants to see sinners reconciled back to him. This is accomplished in two ways. The first way is through the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of your faith. The second way we reconcile the world back to God is through prayer. Prayer and intercession. I want to focus on for a second preaching, sharing the gospel, sharing our faith. The Barna Group study said this. This is very interesting. They said in 1993... 90% of Christians agreed with this statement. And here's the statement. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 1993, 90% of believers said, I agree. It is the personal responsibility of the believer to share their faith. 90% agreed. I don't know why there's 10 who don't agree with that. I don't know what Bible maybe they're reading, different translation. I know there's a lot of translations out there today. Hopefully you got a good one, but only 90%, 1993, 25 years later, in 2018, they did this study again. Guess what that number is now? Throw a number out there. Let me hear some numbers. 60, 25, 30. They said 64% of Christians agreed with that statement now. So you had 90%. In 1993, in 2018, you got 64%. So is it safe to say 25 years from now we'll be the 40s, 30s, less than half the church believes that we should share the gospel? I know you talk about evangelism is one of those things where we all get uncomfortable But I wanted to give us a couple tips this morning. I wanted just to break it down, keep it simple. A couple tips to sharing your faith. A lot of times we get stressed out, we feel the pressure, fear, anxiety, and we never end up doing it. We feel like a failure, therefore we never, ever do it. 
So, three tips to sharing the gospel. Number one, start with the people within your reach. Start with the people who are within your reach. Your neighbors, those whom you work with. The grocery store you consistently go to. Start with people within your reach. We sometimes have this mindset, if I don't preach the gospel to every single person I see, I'm a failure. Therefore, we never, ever preach the gospel. We never, ever do anything. What's your game plan to reach those who live around you? My wife and I, we talk about it. How are we going to reach our neighbor? There's a guy who's to the right of our house. I'm trying to pick up on his work schedule. Not trying to be a creeper, but just taking note. When is he home? When's he not home? When's he go out to get the mail? I want to try to catch him, strike up a conversation with him, just build a relationship. There's a girl down our road. She has a couple kids. They come over to the house and play, and we're building a relationship. So start with the people who are around you. Number two, share your testimony. Share your testimony. People may not be able to connect with the Bible right away, but they probably can connect with you. Share your story. You don't have to preach to them Genesis to Revelation in five minutes and cover everything. Share your testimony. People love to hear stories. Number three, this is important, though. This is really important. In sharing the gospel, number three, bind together Truth and mercy. Bind those two things together. Truth and mercy. This is a, script, this is a biblical principle. Psalm 85.10 says, Mercy and truth have met together. Psalm 89.14, Mercy and truth go before your face. Proverbs 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and you will find favor with God and man. I'm all for truth. We are going to be a truth-telling community. We're going to tell the full counsel of the Word of God. Everything in the Bible is free game. We're going to speak the truth. We will. But there's something about truth. Here's what truth does. Truth cuts, it convicts, it reveals, it exposes. And our natural tendency is when we hear truth is to run. I don't like that, didn't feel good, get me out of here, that hurts, they're mean, I'm never coming back. That's the tendency. So we don't necessarily play into that by not telling the truth. We tell the truth, and then we quickly bind it with mercy. What does mercy do? Mercy pulls them close. It says, I really care for you. The Father cares for you. This is love. As I was thinking about mercy and truth, the Lord gave me a picture. We're all sitting at the table, and the Lord brings truth. And all of a sudden, you see hearts exposed, minds exposed, and everyone wants to get up and leave. But then he drops uh, mercy, and everyone comes back in and realizes he's a merciful God. He's willing to forgive me and wash me. Bind it together. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. 
We are inclined to think that a very great portion of modern revivalism has been more of a curse than a blessing because, oh, sorry, I went ahead myself. The fourth one, before I read that, the fourth one, I told us three tips. Here's a bonus. We have to address sin. We have to address their sin. We have to tell them truth with mercy. I remember when I first started evangelizing and trying to share the gospel with people. I remember I would just go out and I'd pray for them. I'd give them a prophetic word and they were encouraged. And then I would go home and I felt really pumped up and excited that I stepped out of my faith and felt good. But then I began to ponder, are they even saved? Did they even give their life to the Lord? No. I mean, I'm all for encouraging people, but if they have no peace in their life, don't declare peace. They need to get sin out of their life. Sin is what is separating them. So here's what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, we're inclined to think that a very great portion of modern evangelism or modern revivalism has been more of a curse than a blessing because it has led thousands to a kind of peace before they have known their misery. Restoring the prodigal to the father's house and never making him say, Father, I'm sorry. Peacemakers do not declare peace, peace when there is no peace. False prophets are the ones who have done that. They will tell you peace to your face and you've never been to the cross before. There's sin, there's rebellion, there's issues in your life, and they'll say, brother, peace. No, a true peacemaker will tell you, come back to the cross. Make peace with God the real way, the authentic way, the way that will be eternal. The second dynamic of a peacemaker reconciling the world back to God is through prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. I want us to see something real quick concerning prayer. There's a lot of things that we could say when it comes to prayer, There's, but I feel like the Lord wanted me to share just one principle in prayer. I'm probably speaking to my generation, millennials. So Acts chapter 1, look at verse, verses 12 through 14. So Jesus ascended and he, to the Father, and we resume from there. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and these all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Turn real quickly to Acts 2, verse 42. I want to hit this little theme here. 
Acts 2, 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Look down to verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. What's the theme? Did you catch it? They continued. Continued. If you break it down in the Greek, it takes two words, and it means to endure. They continued in this. They had endurance in the place of prayer. I'll be honest with you. Not every prayer meeting that we are going to have here is going to be Holy Ghost and fire. But are you willing to endure? Every time you have a prayer meeting at home, you may not be slain in the spirit. Will you endure? My wife and I have really been challenging ourselves to get up together early in the morning to pray and read the word together. We get up the first five minutes, we're sitting there, a cup of coffee in hand, and just wondering who's going to go first. You go first. No, you go first. But guess what? We are willing to endure. If we are simply faithful to prayer and intercession, we will reap a harvest. God told Ezekiel that he's just looking for someone to stand in the gap. But here's what he said. I found no one. God's looking for someone just to be faithful in the place of prayer. And he told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I can't find anyone. They'll start, but they won't finish. They won't endure. I hear their prayers. I see them. I'm with them. But they won't endure. I'm writing down their prayers. The prayers are filling the bowls in heaven. But then they have a bad day and they won't endure. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, what? Pray. pray. Is anyone willing to pray? Is anyone willing to endure? And I get it. it it's, there's a wrestle. There's a, you come to a meeting and you're just like, I don't feel like being here, etc. I'm in it too. But you know what? There's something in me to say, you know what? Discipline. Endurance. Maybe we need a dosage of the word discipline. There were so many days in my, my basketball career I did not want to go to practice. I did not want to. But I'll tell you, when I got to the game and I was ready and prepared, I'm so thankful I went to practice. So today we're in a crisis. We're in real life. This is, a real, this is real. This isn't a game. And if you haven't been in the place of prayer you're wondering what's going on, what has happened. But for, but for those of us who have been waiting, who have been watching on the Lord, we're looking back saying, God, I thank you that I endured in the place of prayer because now I'm actually ready. There's a readiness in my spirit. I can hear you. I see you. I know what you're saying. And it all goes back to that time where you just didn't want to pray and you didn't want to endure, but you did it anyways. 
The third trait, the peacemaker. Peacemakers fight to keep the church unified. They fight to keep the church unified. Alexander Strauch says this, Many believers would confess that they viewed peacemakers as compromisers, cowards, and weaklings. But they need to understand that peacemaking is not about ignoring problems, wishing that they would go away, or negotiating a truce. It is not appeasement or peace at any price. So if you think about peacemakers and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to be a peacemaker, I'm not called to be a peacemaker because they're weak. They do, they'll do anything to keep the peace, but they won't make the peace. I'm telling you, that is not true. So let me tell you what I feel like the Lord showed me about what a true peacemaker is. is. A true peacemaker is this. He's someone who endeavors who strives, who fights to keep his brother or sister as close to the cross as he can. That is a true, real peacemaker. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to contend with you. I'm going to wrestle you to pull you, to pull whoever as close to the cross as I can. Because that's where the foundation and the root of our peace is at. I'm not going to pull you into my idea and what I think is going on and what God is saying during COVID-19. I'm going to say, first, let's come to the cross. This is where true peace is at. And from here, we can dialogue, we can talk, we can move forward. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Looking at peacemakers, I believe all the Old Testament prophets were peacemakers. I believe Paul, the disciples, they were true, real peacemakers. Let's look at Paul for a minute. 1 Corinthians, listen to his heart. Listen to what he is saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, God is faithful by him by whom you were called into fellowship, into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So he's writing to a people in Corinth. There's divisions. In chapter 3, it goes on to talk about how some say, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of whomever. Go to chapter 2 real quick, verses 1 through 2. Look at what Paul is doing. He sees the issues. He sees the division. He steps into peacemaking mode. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellent of speech or, or a word of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
So there's disorder, and he's saying, I didn't come to you with opinions. I didn't come with you with a small inclination and a maybe, and I'm thinking God is saying maybe he's that, uh, somewhere in there. He's saying, I came to you with the cross of Jesus. Flip over to chapter 15 real quick. We're in the same book. He's writing to the same people. And here's what he says again. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and now you stand, and by which you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. Paul fought. He strived. He endeavored to keep unity in the church and the bond of peace through the cross of Jesus, calling everyone to the cross. Have you been to the cross to find peace with God and peace with man? Go back to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I encourage you to go, go home, look at, look at this verse. This is, this is really, really challenging. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. He's talking to a people who have their favorites in life. My, my favorite this, favorite that. I'm just, I'm, my personality is, I'm, I'm more that way. And what's he say? That you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, what? Perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When you read that, you think, Paul, you're in fantasy land. For real. You think you can gather 300 people, 400, whatever, and they can all have the same mind, the same judgment, same thoughts, same beliefs. Really. But notice in a couple chapters later, I think it's in chapter 3, Chapter 2, he says, for we have the mind of Christ. So maybe, maybe that is part of the solution, part of the answer. James talks about where do the wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? So when there's disunity within a church, maybe it's because there's so much selfishness, there's so much desire for pleasure we can't agree on anything. So Paul comes in there. He establishes the cross of Jesus Christ and says, if you guys can't get unified on anything, get unified on this thing first, and let's see what happens. Now, I have not been hearing a lot of disagreements with those who have been staying within their home and those who have been out and about within our community. But I do think the Lord wants to use COVID-19. He wants to use our stance where we're giving people room to go home, stay home, and those to come out in public. 
But are we going to let something like this bring disorder, disunity? I have my convictions, you have yours. I'm going to look at you differently. I'm going to feel differently around you. You're less spiritual than me. I have more faith than you. For those of you who have been out in meetings, have you been praying for those who have been in the homes? And those of you who have been in the homes, have you been praying for those who have been out and about? Can we unify on the cross of Jesus? I mean, I know we're saying yes right now. That's good. Say yes. Make me feel better about myself here. But really, when you go home, how seriously do you take what he's saying? As an eldership team, we're going to hit this issue of community really hard. There's so much individualism. There's so much, this my own opinion, my own self. But where do wars and fights come from among you? Selfishness. How selfish have you been in the body since COVID-19? Selfishness, it's antithetical to the cross. I'm trying to pull us together right now. And if you got self, I'm trying to pull us together right now to the cross. And if you got selfishness in you, you're either going to run away and not come, or it's going to die. That's why Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and then pick up your cross. He never says, pick up your cross and then figure out self. No, no, before you meet, before you gather together, leave yourself at home, come in the name of the Lord, and then let's meet. Kenneth Weiss, here's a literal translation of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I beg of you, please, brethren, my appeal to you being enforced by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that name holding within its compass all that he is in his glorious person and wonderful salvation. I beg of you, please, that all of you be speaking the same thing, that there be no factions among you, but that the breaches in your fellowship caused by these factions, having been healed, you may remain perfectly united in the sphere of the same mind and in the sphere of the same opinion. I feel the wrestle. Let go of your opinion. Pick up your cross. If we are going to endure anything, any crisis as a body, we need everyone picking up their cross. Everyone. Doesn't matter how young or old you are, immature, mature, everyone picking up your cross. And it would be really helpful for those who are mature and who are carrying their cross to go and help the immature carry their cross. Instead of beat them up, oh, they're lazy, oh, they're worthless, oh, they don't know what they're doing, go help them. Teach them the mind of Christ. Help. Alexander Strauss says this, 
Peace, not warfare, is to characterize our relationships as members of the body of Christ. Each member, then, is responsible for the peace and unity of the local church. I'm doing my part. Are you going to do yours? When you go home, when you're out and about, you have a part to play in keeping peace and unity in the church. Romans 14, 19, let us pursue what makes for peace. Are you pursuing that? Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. Are you striving for it? 1 Peter 3, 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. So you're thinking, Brandon, okay, I have a real situation with brother so-and-so. How do we, how do we get peace? Brother, go to the cross. Say, hey, I know we have differencing opinions. Can we meet at the cross of Jesus real quick? If we get peace, real quick, look, go to Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, fighting, contending, wrestling, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he doesn't say to endeavor to create a unity. He says keep the unity of the Spirit. The reason he says we're called to keep it is, is because Christ has already created it. So if Jesus Christ created peace at the cross, then we must come together and we keep it. We strive, we pursue, we push, we wrestle together. And it's in the bond of peace. Peacemaker. I mentioned it early. There was a bond at the cross. Jesus Christ took the Father, you and me, and a bond has been made at the cross. Nowhere else. So peacemakers, they fight to keep the church unified. I'm going to read one more quote. John Piper said this. It may be a... No, it's not out of context. He says this. There is a war going on. And all the talk of a Christian's right to to live luxuriously as a child of the king in this atmosphere sounds hollow, especially since the king himself is stripped for battle. So as peacemakers of Jesus Christ, he's the Prince of Peace, do we know this morning he is stripped for battle? Are we willing to fight? Are we willing to contend to see the world reconciled back to God and to see even the church reconciled back to God?
Derek, could you come, please? I want us to take a moment to respond this morning. Could you all stand with me? I feel this in my heart for us this morning to respond in one of two ways. The first one is for those who are in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have surrendered your life to him, yet you don't know him or you have not been experiencing the peace of the Lord and you realize that this morning, whether you have sinned or there's rebellion or there's demonic oppression in your life, I believe the Lord wants to highlight you this morning so that he could come and release peace to you. I'm talking real shalom, peace of the Lord. Only he can give it. Whether you're here this morning or you're, you're online, but that's group number one. Returning to the peace of the Lord. And group number two, you don't know the Lord. You're visiting this morning. You're watching online. But you've realized this morning, I've never been to the cross. And you know how you've been to the cross? Is that if you've gone to the cross before, you've been changed. Period. And you're, you see that this morning. God is convicting you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. Now is the time to surrender. Now is the time to submit. Confess your sins to him and give your life to Jesus. Where only peace with God is found through him. Can we respond? So if you feel like, number one, you've been seeking peace with the Lord as a believer and you've lost hold of that and you need that this morning, I want you to come. I want you to respond. I want you to come on this side of the altar if that's you. And if there's anyone in here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus and you're realizing you don't know him, there's no peace in your life. There's only sin. There's only separation. I want you to come up here to the altar on this side. And we want to rejoice with you. We want to, to bless you. We want to pray with you.